It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 524 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Now, if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, those are time-stamped to breakdowns of this and all the conversations on Accelerate, then go to andypaul.com forward slash 524. It's a great reference tool if you're listening to the show. Heard a point, you want to go back and listen to it more depth, but didn't have time to write down the note of where in the episode it took place, go to the show notes page, look at our breakdown, help you find that really quickly. So that's at andypaul.com forward slash 524. Now, listen, it's, it's a Saturday. There's no real hurry to listen to the show today. I mean, you don't have any work to go to. You don't have to hit the gym so early like you do most days of the week. So if you could, let's take a second before you go any further. Go to iTunes or wherever you listen to the show and leave a review for us. My team would really appreciate it. They work hard to put on this show for you and would love your feedback about what we could do to make this an even better investment of your time. So hit pause, go to your podcast app, subscribe, leave a quick review, then come right back. We'll be waiting for you. Joining me on this show for the first time is Allison Graham. She's a consultant, author of a book with a very interesting title. The title is Married My Mom, Birthed a Dog, How to Be Resilient When Life Sucks. In fact, Alice and I first met when we were in a recording studio in New York City waiting to film some promotional material for each of our, each of our books. And that was actually a previous book for her. So now she has a newer book about resilience, which is a great topic, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Resilience in sales and life, showing grit, bouncing back when, as Allison says, life sucks. So let's jump into it. Allison Graham, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. It's good to talk to you again. So, yeah, it's been a while. That's true. All right. So I have sort of a little research report. I'm asking all my guests the same question to start the show, and that is... In your mind, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? Oh, goodness. You're going to start with a doozy. Yeah. I I think the single biggest challenge is really the noise in the marketplace and getting the attention of our buyers in such a way that they actually will respond to an email, respond to a voicemail, notice you on social media, whatever your reaching out technique is. Uh, trying to rise above the noise and everybody else who's doing quote unquote the same thing and figuring out how to rise to the top. So how do you do that? I mean, and I, I mean, a do you think it's you think it's harder than it was before? Oh, absolutely. I and, think it and, is. More and different. why? Why do you think it is? Because well, because so okay. So if I think back to when I began my career, so here's here's an example. I started writing professionally as a columnist in two thousand and three. So this is before the dawn of the internet and social media in the powerful terms that we have now. It was relatively unknown in the circle. So it was harder. So for me to get that columnist role, I had to reach out to the editor-in-chief. I had to write seven mock columns. I had to, it took me five months of going after that column. And then when I got it, it actually was a big deal because there was only one columnist position for that role. Mm -hmm. And so now the difference is anybody can write anything and have it published in many different places, whether it's their own website or for a publication that is accepting online submissions. There's no, uh, 
there's no system now that says this is somebody who really deserves this platform versus this is somebody who is just really good at spreading content. Okay. So I think that when there is a lot of really fantastic work out there and really not so fantastic work out there, that it makes it harder for clients and prospects to say, to be able to filter that information because there's no filtering. Like I know a lot of people who have phenomenal content who cannot get traction in the marketplace because they just aren't, they aren't able to rise above their competitors who maybe aren't as qualified or aren't as talented, but have been very, very good at promoting. And so it's that kind of noise that can detract from your, your core message and and not get you in front of people. So I think there are just more venues to promote and therefore there's more noise and people are inundated. And so it's harder to get their attention. Okay. So the one question you didn't really address, though, is, oh. is so how are you raised? I didn't ask it. You raised the question is, is, is by your responses. So how, how do you rise above the noise? I mean, in all those circumstances that you described is, hey, yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. So I think there are several steps to this. Uh, number one, we all could do a better job, I believe, in flipping our script. So many uh, salespeople who I've worked with in my consulting and my uh, speaking or when I'll go into a company, everything they're doing in their communication is talking from their perspective. So we've been in business for this long. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And nothing about talking about only the thing that the, pro- the prospect cares about And that's the problem you're actually going to solve for them. So what is their pain point? Sales 101, but yet so few companies really truly address the issue of what what problem are you solving? And only talk about that. And then all the other information that you believe you need to have on a brochure, uh, put it on a brochure and nobody's ever going to read it. So it doesn't matter. Put it there if you want, but it needs to be a headline and information that will grab and positioned from their perspective. Okay. All right. That's one way. The other way I really believe in still, uh, it's where I got my start training 11 years ago, is you got to get eyeball to eyeball with the right buyers and make an impression and talk their language about what problems are they having let them know you're the solution provider and make it irresistible. So if you can really tie your your product or your service to the problem that's their issue, then they're more likely to respond. And you said eyeball to eyeball. That I mean that's great to get face to face, but increasingly it seems to be hard to to um yeah, whether it's for budget restrictions to travel or so on that face to eyeball to eyeball oftentimes doesn't happen as does it work as well virtually for you? Well, I, I just actually, before we started our, our talk, I had a, what I call a virtual coffee with uh, somebody who had seen me on a TV interview and reached out. And now we've got this uh, potential collaboration that's going to happen. And so, no, was I going to drive two and a half hours to go have an initial meeting? No, I wasn't. But we could do a Skype call, Zoom call, go to meeting, whatever it is, and be at least on camera with someone that can help make the difference. So that's one way we can leverage that. And I think that when 
you go face to face. I think the reason it's harder to get a budget to go face to face now is because people were wasting the opportunity. How many times have people gone to a trade show, showed up, taken a whole bunch of different business cards, no idea who the people are, really not quantifying any of the prospects as actual, you know, qualified mm-hmm. buyers. Mm-hmm. And then they get back to their office, they never do the follow up, they don't get any value. And so why would you know, if you're the CEO yourself, or if, if you have to answer to somebody who's on the budget line, why would they send you again? There's absolutely nothing quantifiable coming out of it. And that's why I believe my sponsoring, my sponsorship, leveraging trade shows and sponsorships program has been so successful over the last 11 years, because we talk about having a framework of preparing before you go, here's what you need to do. Here's how to approach the event or trade show when you're there. And here's what you do afterwards in order to really derive value from it and measure it. Right. And that program on its own, like just even having that conversation with people who are going to trade shows, they're like, oh, oh yeah that's and and we know we need to do it it's not rocket science but we get busy and then the right things don't happen and then you don't get the budget to get face to face i guarantee you if you go to a trade show and you land a six or seven figure deal because of you know making an effort and doing it properly there will always be a budget for you to go to a trade show absolutely true absolutely true all right so let's let's jump into the sort of topic we're going to talk about today which was was uh, or is resilience so you've written about this you spend a lot of your time talking about you know the ability to to bounce back after a setback so what inspired you to make this sort of your mission okay well this is uh now if you could see me right now you and i hope you can hear it the smile on my face because you're right i love 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 talking about this and, and there's a reason because i spent uh, 10 years, my first 10 years in my business, teaching people how to drive top line revenue. Okay, how do we get sales? How do we get in front of decision makers? And, you know, successful uh, to, you know, not obviously to my full degree, but enough that I really enjoyed it. But what people didn't see was what was happening behind the scenes. And I believe that we're all playing a life size game of whack-a-mole, right? Swatting down one problem just in time for another to erupt. And then, you know, we're doing this and then we go to a sales meeting, we put a smile on our face or we post on social media. And of course, we never post our horrible moments. We post our great moments. And I reached a certain level in my business and I always wanted to write this book. There's a joke and it's the book title, that's called Married My Mom, Birthed a Dog, How to Be Resilient When Life Sucks. And it was based on my decade of hell of, you know, in and out of the hospital. And I had a surgery that went wrong and caused pain and was to- told to go on uh, disability. And I said, no way, I can't do that. And so I, I called my mom and asked her to come into town and she used to chauffeur me around. And anyway, it's, it's a fun story, but I think it's so real. Cause we, <laughs> a decade of hell is a fun story. <laughs> well, you know, the married my mom birthed the dog part is, um, no, it, well, it is, it actually is a very funny book I'm told. And, and I like to see the lighter side of things, but I think we're all going through something, whether it's grief or, you know, through this, I had eight injuries like breaks or tears or with follow-up surgeries. 
So I, I, you know, but yeah, we don't talk about it. And I don't want to talk about it from a perspective of, oh my gosh, what a victim, right? Like, oh, I can't sell today because, you know, my mom is sick or I've got a boo-boo or, you know, I've got something really serious going on in my life. And I don't want to do that because I believe that there are moments when, you know, stuff is going to come at us from the proverbial fan and it is going to blow on high and we have a choice. You can either become a victim or you can become, as I've coined it, the resiliency ninja. And essentially what that means is you are, you know, stepping into your full potential, your full success, no matter what challenges are flying at you. And, you know, especially with sales, like think about it, Andy, with when people are like low, like they don't have a sales quota, like there's a form of a challenge that's coming at you. You're not meeting your quota. You're not going to pay your bills this month. You're really stressed. Well, if you can't deal with that and process it and bounce back even faster, that is going to influence your ability to sell on the other side. So that's what I wanted to deal with. I wanted to figure out for people, how do you, what are the tools to be able to bounce back and then still succeed no matter what? All right. I mean, well, I mean, it's, we're going to talk about that because, yeah, certainly in sales, perhaps more so than many professions, is there are, uh, you know, sort of built into the whole process is losing, right? Mm-hmm. Is is rejection? I mean, it's hey, it, depending what field you're in, you may only if you're really killing it, you may only win half the deals that you work on, which means that fifty percent of the time you're dealing with a customer, they're going to tell you no. Or, you know, take it further up the chain when you're prospecting. It's, you know, maybe you're only going to get 10% of the 50 to 100 people you talk to a day, let's say if you're in an SDR role, is going to say, yeah, I want to have a conversation. The rest are rejecting you. Um, As you talked about, you know, not hitting your numbers, whether it's, you know, activity quota or actual physical dollar quota. You know, that's sort of a real thing that, yeah, pressure sort of exists month to month and not hitting it a couple months in a row, then... Yeah, how do you how do you bounce back? Let alone when personal issues, as you talked about, whether it's relationship issues, breakups, divorces, uh, you know, emotional issues caused by you know personal things, as you talked about, surgeries and so on, or family issues. So it's it's yeah, you add those two together, it's it can be quite stressful, and not just stressful, but it can really impact your performance. Absolutely, and it's. You know, almost like when we get a no, it's shocking, right? Like it's a, it, it, for many salespeople, like I would love a no. And I know a lot of salespeople feel the same way. Like, please just don't give me a maybe and don't string me along. Give me a no because I can move on from that. I think that unknown is where a lot of the frustration, a lot of the emotional baggage can come from when it comes to sales development. But it's even like with objection overcoming. So somebody gives you an objection and people will get some, not, I don't want to stereotype, but a lot of salespeople will get defensive. No, 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 no. This is the right thing. This is the right thing. And I'm like, well, it's their job to, as a buyer to say no, first of all, until they earn, you earn only yes. Then it's their job to object to be sure that they're making the right decision 
to move and yet we're shocked by it or we're offended by it or we you know feel defensive like oh my gosh this isn't going well when in actual fact if they're still talking to you it's going really well right and so i think that accepting those no's and accepting that is and embracing them is, is one way to look at it and just flip the script to be really excited about getting the nose. And I find the nose hurt more when you aren't doing enough of the right activity to get other yeses. Well, it raises an interesting question in my mind, as, in my mind as we talk about this, is that you know, for me, when I think about resilience as sort of a concept, it's more about bouncing back from the big setbacks. Mm. Whereas, yeah, when you're first getting started in your career, yeah, I, I went through, you know, first two months of selling, <laughs> maybe more where, yeah, I mean, there were days I was at home by noon staring at the walls wondering what the hell I was doing. <laughs> Sorry, that's I, just an image, okay? Yeah, and, <laughs> and yet, yeah, I can see that there's some resilience required when you're just getting started, but then, yeah, you know, once you're in your career and you know, you get nose, you get rejected. I mean, to me, I don't, I don't see that as a, a resilience thing you need to bounce back from. I just see it as yeah, it's just part of the job because you're not going to win them all. You know, you're not going to win them all. Right. So it's interesting because resiliency, I believe is a skill that applies in the big and the little issues of life. Okay. Because if you get enough little no's or enough little stresses or obstacles that get in your way and you don't know how to bounce back from them fast enough, then that will add up to a big adversity. And so managing your ability on the small scale is almost like if you can be really resilient when something happens. And that like little happens like a no with with a, a deal that you really didn't care about then when a deal goes sideways that you really cared about you already have the skill built in to process it faster and then you because you've been doing it a little bit along the way with the resilience then when you know somebody who you really care about dies or uh, you have an injury or a surgery that goes wrong or, or something you, you get a divorce then you've you've built up that resiliency muscle that if you weren't looking at the smaller things as being an issue and learning how to process them properly, then it would be even harder to deal with the bigger adversity. Yeah, I, mean, I think there are some big things in life, like a, a death of a family member, a loved one, uh, divorce, which, yeah, I mean, the resilience is, is really critical, but I, you know, I maybe somewhat skeptically think, yeah, there's only so much you can inoculate yourself in advance of for some of those things. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can speak personally, having gone through a divorce and, and seen the impact, the negative impact it had on my performance, even though I thought it wasn't right. <laughs> yeah. I thought, yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, or, you know, all things considered doing great, but it really wasn't until after the fact that I could see that, Oh yeah. Yeah. That wasn't so good. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> that sucked. Uh, yeah. Um, and that, Beyond that, yeah, I think it's really one of the hardest things for people is, is to understand that, you know, when these things happen that are big, that are major, not just the day-to-day -day upsets, you know, like losing a deal and so on, but, uh, you know, it could be a, a deal that I've had, you know, opportunities I've worked on that have been huge, worked on for multiple years that you lose, right? 
Uh, yeah, I mean that that's something that's pretty significant because you know you invested so much in it. No, is, I think is but you even in those cases, I think you know you have to have to me you have to have this ability to step outside yourself and and I think one of the at least for me the key things is yeah step outside yourself and look back and say okay what's what's really going on here. Well, and so for the book, I actually created what I call the Resiliency Ninja Formula. And it's for this very instance, because it, it combines your, your need to be self-aware about what is going on. So as a Resiliency Ninja, you would be, quote unquote, trained to in the middle of that divorce, instead of having the hindsight is always twenty twenty. We need to be able to catch the patterns that are happening as they're happening and understanding, okay, this isn't working, right? So what, with the self-awareness piece, then we look at our strengths from a heart perspective, a physical perspective, as well as our mental, uh, mental strength and our you know, internal messenger of bullshit and all of those different things, self-doubt and self-judgment mm-hmm. and uh, all of that. So then we've I, you know, I give the tools on how to actually calm those down and, and look at them and build them and work, work forward in the strength department. And well, then so, so let's ask that question. So what, what are some of the tools you, you talk about there that, you know, to, yeah. to tamp down the doubts? Okay. So, uh, number one is this internal messenger of bullshit. And I hope I can swear on your show. I hope that's all right. Not offensive to anybody. I apologize if it is. Uh, because we all tell in stories. So in the, in the absence of fact, mm-hmm. our brains will provide random information to fill in facts around issues. So for example, um, you know, somebody walks by you, they don't say hi in there, or they say hi and they're miserable. Our brain naturally will go to, oh my gosh, she must be really angry with me about the meeting last week, da 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 da, and fill in all the blank. And meanwhile, the person was just, you know, you couldn't see the Bluetooth in their ear and they were on a conversation with somebody else, right? And so one of the things, and, and like that's a simple situation, but and from a self doubt perspective, like I remember when I was really having a tough physical time before I learned these tools and how to deal with my own nerve pain. I would be on the couch and my physical body couldn't function and and I didn't have the strength to pull it together to know what to do. So I would just collapse and I would freeze. And then I would start this cycle of internal messenger of BS in my head of, oh my God, you're so lazy. You should be out selling. You should be out working for clients. You've got, um, you should write a new article. Uh, there were just so many things. And then, so what I did was I think in order to calm that, we have to put things, we have to bring our subconscious conversation that we're having to the forefront. So writing it out and, you know, one of the exercises I love is, um, I am da 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 da, whatever the issue is, because, and just let it flow. All of these and these ridiculous things will start coming out of your hand to mouth, right? Like or your your mind to your hand, and then you can look at what you're saying objectively. So, am I really being lazy? No, I'm not. I am choosing to honor my body and what it needs right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how can we reframe it? And it's that flipping of the script that I believe is, 
the key to self-awareness, but first in order to becoming resilient. But at first we have to become aware that we're even having the script. Well, so what, what role does, and I'm always curious to hear people's answers to this when we're talking about similar topics. So in your mind, what, what role does optimism? Are you going to ask about positive thinking? Well, Yay! Uh, I think it makes you miser- miserable. So, okay, here's the thing. If Wait, you said, you, you said optimism makes you miserable? Well, no, okay, so positive thinking will make you miserable, but it, it's aligned with optimism. So you can be see the positive in a situation. That's not the same as saying the situation is positive. Well, yeah, no, I think that, right. So what you're right. saying, yeah, I, so, I think another way of saying it is that, you know, somebody that's optimistic is like and I'll give my own examples. You know, I recently had a very serious illness and was hospitalized for a while, and and you know, have been slowly recovering strength from it. But by disposition, I'm pretty optimistic, and it was like, okay, this isn't so bad. But you're right? going to get through it. But I'm going to get through it. Yeah. But it wasn't like you know, Norman Vincent Peale, power of positive thinking. It was just sort of this inherent optimism that, you know, this too shall pass. And you hope it'll pass. Absolutely. So from an optimistic perspective, I think it's hugely valuable because if you're, well, okay, so I'm confusing the optimism with positive. So let me leave the positive issue over there. I talk about that a lot. But being optimistic and seeing the best in a situation and being hopeful. Mm -hmm. I think that's the key, being hopeful, right? That things are going to go. And because if we don't have hope, then it's very difficult to be resilient because we can't see the other side. Now, this is the thing. Most people would be in that situation, maybe not most, but many, and they would become a victim. So they would let it become their identity. They would, it would take over their entire existence and they would have a very difficult time seeing any optimism or any hope for the future in that situation. So I would say that you are more naturally disposed to being resilient than somebody who would be in that situation and thinks that their life is going to end uh, and can't see anything else and it's not worth trying. So where does this positive thinking then come in that's the negative? Well, I just think that like positive thinking is like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy, I'm so happy, I'm so happy. Well, no, if you're not happy, you're you're not happy. (laughs) So you're talking about positive thinking, like affirmations to convince yourself right. that you're you're okay. Okay. Yes. Or people who will say, oh, yeah, everything's fantastic and great. And meanwhile, behind the scenes, they're falling apart. And so, like, even in the book, I talk about, like, with small talk conversations. And so let's say you have to go to an event, but you've got your divorces going on. And people will say, well, how are you? Well, you don't want to be a downer. So you don't want to say... You know, well, I'm miserable. I'm getting a divorce. It really sucks. And thanks, thanks you know, for asking. Yeah, thanks for asking. And let me bring you down to the depths of despair where I am stuck and quicksand and I have no desire to get out. Right. So that's not a good strategy. But what are one or two or three pieces of your life that are not falling apart? So, for example, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We finally launched my new online program and I'm really excited about that. And picking that, so see, that becomes the the conversation piece as opposed to blanketing everything with misery. But is the downside to that that you're not acknowledging it? Uh, no, because you are acknowledging it in, in the right circles. 
but you know your clients, your so many of my clients. So it, and many, what you're saying is you don't know. you don't need to overshare with everybody. You 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 want to share, just make sure you're sharing with the right people. Right, you want to thoughtfully share. Okay. So thoughtfully share with the people who you trust, who actually truly care about your circumstances, and you want to share from a place of uh, like. If you're doing what I'm doing, where you're putting your whole story out there, I really believe you have to be sharing from a place of uh, giving hope and giving tools as opposed to woe is me, right? Like there's a very different tone that goes with the story when you're sharing from a thoughtful place. Yeah, the, and, book, the book wouldn't be nearly as interesting if, 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 you were, if it was all woe is me. Oh, gosh. But, you know, it does happen. Yeah, it wouldn't be a uh, memoir yeah. I'd be interested in. Yeah, no, probably not. So I think that it's not being inauthentic because you're being truly authentic about the thing that is right. It's choosing what you're going to share with the right person. And, you know, I, I, if we could draw mountains in front, like, you know, I know we're on audio, but imagine you have this horrible thing and, you know, we can call it the divorce, the illness, whatever it is. And it's this huge Mount Everest. And then we have all these other little, uh, Mount Everest. This is not drawn to scale just for the record. Okay. So you've got this <laughs> huge mountain that is an absolute 100% legitimate adversity in your life. And around it, you have all these other little hills or, or half mountains that are stress and obstacles in our life. And what the natural tendency is to grow all of that stress and obstacles to the same level as the huge mountain. So it's all this huge problem. When in actual fact, it's one great big problem with a whole bunch of other six minimal problems. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we tend to exaggerate and, and pull everything up. When in actual fact, what we need to do is be sure everything is in its rightful place. So one of the ways to do this is, uh, it's what I call the continuum of challenges. So when I was going through, before I started doing my keynote, my very first keynote uh, on this topic, Resiliency Ninja, and I decided I would go and take a stress test online. Have you ever done a stress test before? You mean not, yeah. on, not on a treadmill? Oh, no, okay. No, not that kind of stress test. Like uh, um, where it would say, okay, well, you lost somebody. You went through a death of a family member. It's worth, you know, 60 points. You went through... This is, you know, you moved houses, it's worth 20 points, it's worth 10 points. And so they measure your stress, okay? Mm -hmm. So I went and I did this test online, uh, thinking back to 2009, uh, when I was, you know, not into my Resiliency Ninja stuff yet, I was still going through the thick of everything that was happening with a whole bunch of deaths and things around me. And my score was 734. And the, the key to the, the, you know, the little legend said, if you're anything over 330, seek professional help. So that gives you a sense of where I was at. Now, the problem with that stress test is as I was looking at all of the things they were measuring and bucketing into the word stress, they were actually adversities. So here, and I, I think mm -hmm, this is mm -hmm. That's hugely... An important point. 
Right. And so I think people need to separate them because they all require different tools. So this is how I look at it. Stress is an internally driven issue. You yourself have, by accepting other people's boundaries, whatever it is, you know, a job that's got too much, you are trying to do too much with too few resources and too little time. That's stress. Okay, we can deal with stress, we can fix that. Tools to fix it, no problem. Obstacles are things that get in your way that are potentially external forces or internal forces, but you can go around them, jump over them, move them out of the way, blow them up. They are movable. And you know, if you imagined you walking along a path, an obstacle would be like, you've come to a log or you've come to a little stick in the way. But as soon as you deal with the obstacle, you can just keep on the same path. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And adversity, it is an external force. That means nothing is going back to the way it was before it happened. So in adversity, if we were using that walking along a path example, would be that you're walking through the path and all of a sudden there's an earthquake and there is a sinkhole that comes, the ground moves and shakes and all of a sudden there's this huge sinkhole in front of you. The path no longer exists in the form that it was before the catastrophe happened. That's adversity. And the challenge with when we call and we, you know, we're under a lot of stress because of an adversity, well, then we're not giving ourselves, we're not honoring the true nature of an adversity, which is you need to create a new expectation for how your life is going to unfold. So when, you know, you, know, you even know from your divorce, when you uh, have a divorce, then you've got to, you know, build the expectation for your life as a single man or, you know, whatever the case mm -hmm. may be, you've got to redefine your future after an adversity. And the interesting thing about this is that we tend to uh, exaggerate stress and minimize adversity. When somebody says, how are sure, you? Sure. You go busy, busy, busy. Oh my gosh, I'm so busy. So much to do, so much to do. Ah, and it's like this busy, busy badge of honor. As if, you know, being busy is something right. unique to you. Right. <laughs> right? right. But we wear it with pride and we, you know, it, it, it's culturally acceptable. You're back from, uh, you know, two weeks off of, you know, after a family member's died and people say, how are you? What's your answer? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Right. We completely diminish the hurt. You're not fine. Your whole world has been rocked. And, you know, by diminishing it, not dealing with the pain. I remember when my dad died, you know, I just kept trying to stay busy, 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 living in this stress and owning it as a badge of honor and never dealing with the true devastating hurt and allowing those emotions to be felt that, you know, I just kept pushing it down, right. pushing it down, pushing it down. 
And then finally, when I finally truly felt the devastation of losing, you know, my best friend and my sounding board and, you know, the, the man who raised me and I was daddy's little girl and all of those other things. When I finally felt the devastation of that and allowed myself to ball my eyes out and, you know, just eat bonbons on the couch and go through the true grieving process, then I was able to heal from it. Mm-hmm. But until we actually face it, like, I think I kept wishing that things would go back. Like, where's dad? I need dad. I need dad. Right. And dad's never coming back. I think it's a, this is a great perspective for people to keep in mind. And is that, as you said, is that we tend to minimize the big things, right? And sort of overstress sort of the, the day-to-day stresses. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon because, you know, you see it all the time. And I've experienced it myself, right, as, is where it's really, as you said, it really, we're, we're doing the opposite of what we should do, which is you know, acknowledge the big things that are happening and pay you know, less, not pay less attention, but give less credence to just sort of the day-to-day realities of the ups and downs that happen. Well, and th- think about it. We are never, like as children, we are taught to diminish when something is hurtful. So fall, you, you know, have a little boo-boo, you stub your toe. Oh, sh- you know, you don't need, oh, kiss it better. It's all gone. Yeah. Come, come home, you were bullied. Oh, they're just jealous. Don't worry about them. Oh, here, have some ice cream. It'll make you feel better. You know, don't cry. Right. Then, you know, have a breakup that, you know, somebody who you thought you were going to marry or whatever. Oh, no, no, no. Lots of fishies in the sea. Just ignore it. You're fine. Let's go for dinner and get your mind off of it. And then all of a sudden we start diminishing the big things, right? So we're taught this pattern of diminishing as a human being when things hurt and you know, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry in many families. Right. And the thing is we need to feel those emotions. Like it would be better to sit down and and talk about, you know, how does that bully make you feel? And, you know, not getting too, you know, touchy feely, but it just like at the end of the day, the kid's got to process it and he's got to learn how to process the fact that, something really shitty just happened in his life, his or her life. And if they can learn that skill as a child, then maybe as adults, we would be better able to handle the bad things that come at us. Yeah. All right. Allison, we're going to have to stop there. It's been fantastic. <laughs> We've run a few minutes over, but it's a great oh. lesson for people to learn is, is you know, that, and I just circle back to the point I just made before is is I think one of the key points is yeah, resilience absolutely important trait for us to be able to develop. And the key is to understand really what are the things we're bouncing back from, right? If we catastrophize everything, then we're gonna be hopeless. We're gonna be helpless uh to help ourselves because not everything rises to the same level of urgency. And yeah, I urge people if they're interested in exploring more, read Allison's book because you know, give you tools to sort of say, okay, yeah, these are the things that that we really need to confront and address and acknowledge because of having an impact on our performance, both in work and personally and the others, that's just life. And yeah. uh, we're not bouncing back from those. That's just what happens day to day. So 
Uh, Allison, great to have you on the show. Tell people how they can find out more about you, your book, and how to connect with you. Sure. Please come visit me at resiliencyninja.com. And the book is everywhere you can find a book. So, uh, you know, in terms of the online ordering, Amazon, iTunes, Nook, you name it. And uh, definitely come over and visit me and say hi on social media. I'm Allison D. Graham. D stands for Dawn. So, yeah, come find me and say hi. And I'd love to hear your stories of resiliency. All right. Great. Well, thanks for joining us again. And friends, thank you for joining me today. Make sure you come back again tomorrow. Another great episode of Accelerate waiting for you then. Till then, if you get a chance, as I say almost every day, is if you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please use uh, iTunes or that podcast app you're listening to the show on. Subscribe to Accelerate. Leave a review. We'd love to hear from you about how we can make this a more valuable experience for you. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 